You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I started doing this work as a society. We didn't like to acknowledge the pervasive nature of these crimes, and we sort of stigmatized victims by not letting them discuss their experience when it was cathartic for them to do it. Prosecutor turned best-selling novelist Linda Fairstein. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, you know, as they say on a popular TV show, sexually based crimes are considered especially heinous. And that's why back in the 1980s, prosecutor Linda Fairstein helped establish the first sex crimes unit in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. In fact, it was her career in that office that helped inspire the TV show Law & Order Special Victims Unit. Now, in the 1990s, Linda Fairstein diversified her portfolio, as it were, by writing a series of best-selling crime novels, whose main character was sex crimes prosecutor Alexandra Cooper. I first met Linda Fairstein in 1996, upon publication of her very first Alex Cooper novel, a book called Final Jeopardy. So here now, from 1996, Linda Fairstein. I kept hearing boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I get a little irreverent sometimes, well, but I mean, I you like have to pick a title it. somewhere. That's right. And all the, all the, you know, the Gone with the Wind and all those kinds of things, they were already taken. They so. were taken. I, I don't mean to make this. I shouldn't be so silly first thing in the morning and so early in the interview. This is your first novel, isn't it? Yes, it is. How does it feel to write something that you don't have to worry about all the facts or if everything is correct and you don't have to worry about spelling people's names right and things like that? You can make everything up. Well, it's great fun, and it's also... The, Related to that is the aspect that I can, uh, I've been a prosecutor for 24 years and there are things you can't say to the judge and you can't say to your boss. And in fiction, you get to say those things. So that's an enormous part of the fun as well. What a load off your mind that must have been. Yes. All these things you've been waiting to tell him all these years. And this is only volume one. I get more and more (laughs) chances. The heroine who's going to continue through a series of adventures if she survives uh, Final Jeopardy uh, is a young prosecutor named Alexandra Cooper. She is the uh, sex crimes prosecutor uh, in charge of the sex crimes unit in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. That's the job that I've had for more than two decades. So she is a younger, thinner, blonder version of me. But she's uh, got some of my traits. She has a little more patience, and uh, uh, she's she loves the job that she has. The story uh, of Final Jeopardy uh, involves her, one of her friends who is um, an actress, a m- movie star, who borrows Alex Cooper's country home on Martha's Vineyard, and uh, the book begins with the death of Isabella Lascar, the famous actress. And when the police find her at Alex Cooper's home, uh, they don't know whether the target of the killing was the prosecutor who has made a lot of enemies in her career or the movie star. Because it would be logical to think, well, how could they find Isabella? I mean, they would have to track her down because she's not under her own name. She's she's at Alex's place in Alex's car or a car that's rented in her. And yeah, there's a lot of questions to be answered there. Yes, and that's that's how it begins. And then we move back to Manhattan, where the investigation continues, and uh, it's it follows as well the the days and nights of Alex investigating other cases and doing the the procedural work of a prosecutor, which I find so interesting. Mm. Where does the where does the nub of a 
an idea for a book like this come from, or can you pin that down? I can pin it down, actually. I've wanted to do fiction for a long time, and the nub of this idea was that uh, about a decade ago, uh, the Scott Turow book, Presumed Innocent, was made into a wonderful movie, and the sex crimes prosecutor who was killed at the beginning of that movie uh, was played by an actress named Greta Skaki. And uh, she shadowed me. She followed me around the DA's office for a period of time for that role. And she was absolutely lovely, a very charming and nice, sincerely nice human being, unlike the movie star in, in my fiction. But she, um, uh, during the time that she was with me, she was receiving some harassing phone calls. And I had offered her the use of a little country house that my husband and I have. She did not need to, to use it. The harassment stopped. But... Uh, I took it in my imagination a step further, what would have happened if something had happened to her while she was at my home, God forbid. So uh, in fiction, I have a not-so-nice movie star who's the prosecutor's friend, and something terrible does happen to her. I hear a lot of writers, both first-time novelists and long-time veterans, who tell me that that's what they use fiction for, is to explore questions that they've had in their minds in real life, and, and you you can take the what if, what if, what if, and take it to its logical conclusion and tell us a great story in the meantime. Well, that's what I, I wanted to do. And, and the other thing that I've taken from real life are so many of the actual cases I've worked on uh, reappear here, fictionalized uh, slightly. But most of them, I, other than changing the names of the people involved, uh, many of them have actually the facts of the, uh, the cases involved. Well, see, a lot of people think it's so easy, especially if you're in a job like you have where there is so much natural drama. I mean, you don't have to enhance anything. In fact, if anything, you probably have to tone things down That's a right. bit. But people think, people who don't write, think that all you have to do is take that experience, chunk it out of there, plug it into your fiction, and boy, you got a great story. It's not that easy, is it? <laughs> it's not that easy. I challenge them to try it. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, I love to write, uh, but the writing for people who don't like to write is not, of course, the easy part of the process. And of course, to keep, to make the material interesting is the challenge. Sometimes we, a lot of us all have good stories and we can't always translate them into an interesting read. And, uh, hopefully I've been able to do that. Was it more difficult than you thought it would be? Uh, I didn't undertake it lightly, thinking it would be easy. I'm not one of these people who's read other books and say, God, that would be a snap to do that. Uh, so I had great respect for the process, having already, already written a nonfiction book, which was published three years ago. But uh, I like the process of writing. And so uh, very, very long and lonely hours, as uh, you may know if you've tried it, but mm. I sort of strap myself into the chair at the word processor at 9 o'clock in the morning on my vacation time because I did keep the day job through all of this. And so uh, I would sit at the word processor from 9 uh, either until 4 or 5 in the afternoon or until I just couldn't see anymore that day uh, to try and, and, and work. So it's a, a very arduous undertaking, and you, I think you really have to like writing itself to want to do it did you find at some point because this is something else a lot of writers tell me especially first time first time writers and they're so wide-eyed wondrous that this has happened that their characters took over i mean they they reach a point in the story where you kind of have led them by the hand but you get them to that point just like a child across the street and now the ice cream store is within sight and they take off running and and you're chasing them do you know i i'm so glad you asked this question because uh i used to hear people on shows like yours and uh the television talk shows say that kind of thing and i thought what nonsense and it's exactly what happens in the process the characters as you develop them uh the ones you spend 
time with and, and create personalities for do take on lives of, of their own. And you find them saying things or doing things. You know that this is a character who would get in a taxi cab in New York and who would never take a subway. You know that this is a character who would eat at a particular restaurant and never order a takeout pizza. And it's just bizarre the way it did start to happen. And all of the times that I scoffed at listening to writers say, this is the way it goes, uh, I have entire new respect for well, it, it, it has occurred to me that, that the same, many of the same qualities that make you a good prosecutor, in other words, the attention to detail of human behavior and things like that, a good ear for what people are really saying when they're saying one thing but you know they're meaning something else, those are the things that make you a good novelist, aren't they? I think you're absolutely right about that, and I think that... Uh as many listeners might not think, I mean, we have to, as prosecutors or defense attorneys, uh, be convincing to a jury. You learn how to tell a story in a uh, dramatic in a, way, hopefully dramatic <laughs> way, and in a way that can be believed uh, with attention to detail and uh, and nuance. And so, I think that uh, all of those things are things that I've um, been able to use in both careers. And it's not just drama and fact, it's also the passion that goes with it, because you can't get in front of a jury and hope for a conviction if you can't make them feel the, the pain and the indignation and the violation and, the, and the, the, the horror of the thing that you're describing, and you can't tell a good story unless you can do that either. I think you're right. <laughs> After the short break, Linda Fairstein explains why her job isn't always dark and grim. Ninety-six interview with Linda Fairstein. All right, the the early reviews I suspect are coming in. What kind of reviews are you getting? Very generous. It's really been uh, fun. I mean, my career is not one because of the nature of the work that people frequently use the word fun to describe. Um, it's it's deadly serious, and I've had a passion about it, but uh, uh, it's fairly grim. And so, for me, for the first time after twenty-four years, to have something that's been fun to do and been received so warmly is a real treat. Uh, the The first reviews have been very um, warm and friendly, and uh, and I that makes it great fun to be out on the road doing these shows, meeting people. Mystery fans are terrific. They uh, A lot of them are looking for new characters that they can develop a relationship with who'll be back in future books, so it's, uh, it's great to do. I would think that this is, I mean, just looking at it from my outsider's perspective, I would think that this is a, would be like a breath of fresh air, a welcome change for you, a, an opportunity to get away from what must be at times a very grim and very depressing kind of, I mean, I mean you love your work, obviously, if you've been at all these years, but there must be times when you come home ready to, to you know, kick the cat or, you know, or throw a, <laughs> a, throw a, a vase through the window or something. That's why I don't have a cat, I'm afraid I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and people wouldn't blame you. I mean, this is this is a thankless job you've got. Well, it's uh, it, it is grim, and there are days that it is overwhelming, and you go home, and, and certainly it's not work that you can leave on the desk and close the door with. The rewards of it for me um, have far outweighed the the down aspects, and primarily those rewards are being able to give survivors of these crimes justice when they come to the system, and it's something in this particular category of crimes, sexual assault, that they've been denied, that most women, men, children who've been victims of these have been denied for decades. So it has its own rewards, but being able to do this lighter side of it, and yet to still represent in the fiction 
a lot of the fact of what goes on in the job is a wonderfully fun way to combine it. It must be, I, I'm trying to think in, in terms of your story, what Alex must be going through as she's trying to do this thankless job, this grim job that you can't just leave on the desk when you go home at night, and also try to figure out who the heck is trying to kill her. Right, well, it's, um, I I hope I've built the suspense into it, and that's what uh, we try to develop over the um uh, this is just not something that, that I could comprehend as a, as a real life. I mean, I'm glad this is taking place in fiction because I don't think I'd be able to handle something like that. Well, it's not happened to me in, in fact, so we do take, uh, a, again, a lot more dramatic license <laughs> with it. Uh, may it never happen, but it's, um, it, part of the fun of, of doing this story was to, uh, uh, to intensify, of course, the jeopardy for the, uh, heroine. But I'm guessing there's also a strange dichotomy in that, Real life at times is too boring. You have to kind of condense and you have to kind of dramatize and really build it up, you know, kind of take some liberties with the truth. But as we said a moment ago, you can't just take real life and plug it in either because sometimes those facts are just too too shocking and too too grim and too depressing. So there's, on the one hand, you have to spice it up. On the other hand, you have to tone it down. Yes, and that's a balance that uh, I, because I deal with it in my in my work regularly, uh, when I then go to a dinner party or after leaving a day like that, uh, it's not dinner table conversation generally that you can have with friends. So I'm used to sort of balancing those two very diverse parts of my own life and try to repeat that in the fiction. But I'm guessing also that a lot of people probably assume, maybe incorrectly, maybe not, that your your job is all sadness and grimness and and depression and i mean that there are, can't possibly be any light moments uh, i'm glad you brought that up because there uh, the the bulk of the work obviously is is very serious and the um it i find it less grim than the job the police have certainly than the emergency room uh, nurses and doctors have they see these victims uh, moments after these crimes have happened frequently they do the frontline hard work and the recovery for most victims has started by the time i become involved so that makes it lighter and of course if we can give them justice if we can give them a a good verdict that really helps the recovery process and uh there but there are also there is a lot of humor in the work and um some of the stories for example uh, are, are much lighter than others and one real story that i've incorporated here is is a a post office employee a mailman who was delivering mail in new york and actually convincing women that he had to frisk them that he had to touch their body in very intimate parts to make sure that they weren't concealing contraband uh and that he wasn't delivering contraband to them and um scores of women submitted to this uh before one very gutsy woman who had a great sense of humor uh and had submitted a couple of times and then realized this wasn't appropriate and necessary for uh, the literary guild delivery of the month <laughs> and it was of certainly in contrast to other more serious crimes something she was able to laugh about and once the victim laughs with me um i consider that healthy from her perspective when she's uh, gotten out of a difficult situation and lighter than 
many of the terrible crimes I see. So I put that in the book. The real irony in that case was the the real mail carrier in that case had also been a federal employee uh, on the West Coast um, searching people at airports and had abused that privilege, was fired and was rehired by the federal government in New York and never even did a record check or a fingerprint check. So they put him back in business to search women again uh, in a very creative way. So you sort of have to laugh at the um, the irony of that, not in what he did to the women, but the irony that we put him in business to do it. Well, but, but the, the, that woman must have had incredibly strong self-esteem to be able to laugh at something that a lot of people in this politically correct age would have would have just gone ballistic over. Yes, yes, she certainly did, and she was also quite courageous to come forward and then we we went back on his mail route to find other women who had not wanted to talk about it and who had not wanted to discuss what had happened or be the first to come forward so we we found those just quite easily because we knew what buildings he had been in and very good cops went back and knocked on doors and we uncovered lots of other women who'd had the same experience I'm, I'm guessing that a story like that has a lot of mileage in a time when, and uh, in, in your retelling of it, at a time when so many of your cases, first of all, you probably can't talk about in much detail with outsiders, and even if you could, they wouldn't want to listen because they're so depressing. Yeah, some of the stories are, are needless to say, very, very upsetting and unsettling, and uh, and nothing you would want to make light of or anybody would want to make light of. And the good news, finally, is that uh, we have come a long way in two decades when I started doing this work uh, as a society we didn't like to acknowledge the pervasive nature of these crimes and we sort of stigmatized victims uh, by not letting them discuss their experience when it was cathartic for them to do it and when they were not at fault obviously as victims of these crimes or not so uh, I just think it's healthy that we've we're so much more able to talk about these crimes who the offenders are who the victims are Linda Fairstein celebrated her 76th birthday last week. Now, she has not written an Alex Cooper book since 2019. It was in 2019 that the Netflix series When They See Us revealed some dark information about the Central Park Jogger case in which Linda Fairstein played a key role as prosecutor. Now, you can get your copy of Final Jeopardy and Linda Fairstein's last Alex Cooper book, Blood Oath, by following the links on our show notes. Or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. Oh, and that's also where you'll find my interviews with the authors of two other very popular, iconic mystery series. My 1997 talk with the creator of The Bone Collector, Lincoln Rhyme, Jeffrey Deaver. I wanted to create a whole person who was yet not whole, who had this terrible affliction that had so altered his life, and yet he still has the depth that anyone else has. And my 1991 conversation with the author of the Medical Examiner K. Scarpetta series, author Patricia Cornwell. All of my plots are rooted usually in the commonplace and randomness. And that, of course, is what's so frightening because we'd rather think it's a, a Dean Koontz or Stephen King type monster out there who's very clever and supernatural. Uh, somehow that would make us feel a little more immune if we knew it wasn't as commonplace as the person who pumps gas for you. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. Would you do me a favor? If you like today's episode, would you tell a friend about Now I've Heard Everything? I sure appreciate it. Oh, and also, if you haven't already done so, would you please subscribe to Now I've Heard Everything? Thank you. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, Meow, 1960s TV's Catwoman, my 2001 interview with the great Eartha Kitt. 
I've gone through all of this nonsense of them telling me, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. And when they told me that I couldn't do something, I, that's when I had a greater urge to try to do. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.